listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Well, hello, online audience. Uh, Something a little different today, uh, back on the Sunday when we finished our series that we're calling uh, The Essentials. Well, we had a little bit of an audio problem when they got ready to post the the podcast. It uh, was a corrupted file. So, uh, because we don't want you to be lacking in the information, and I know some of you have been following along and and hate to leave you uh, with the last one undone, we thought we'd just kind of go back and and fill in the blanks for you so that you can uh, be caught up on on uh, all eight essentials and not just the first seven. It's going to be a little different because uh, instead of being at uh, at the in the auditorium in the pulpit uh, with faces to look at, I'm actually sitting at my at our dining room table and I have nobody to look at. Um, but we will uh, we'll press on anyway. And uh, so it might sound a little different. Maybe my illustrations might not be quite as animated because um, that. That comes with uh, feeding off of the the audience as well, but uh, but we'll do the best we can to try to get through these. So, uh, in an effort to kind of stay consistent with what we've done all along, let's just go back through all of our uh, essentials that we've mentioned so far. Just in view of time, we won't explain each one of these. Uh, we'll just read through them. Uh, I would encourage you go back and and listen online. If there's any of these that you missed, um, go back and 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 listen to those. We have a handout for each one, and uh, if you'd like to have one of those handout handouts, it'd be very simple for us to send you one um, electronically. If you just send us an email at info at oasischurchwh.org. And just request uh, the eight handouts or whichever ones that you might not have. We'd love to be able to get those to you and we'll send them, send them out just as quickly as possible uh, as a PDF document. You can print them off or you can just follow along and that way you'll be able to, uh, to have a record of everything that we've talked about and, and discussed through this little series on the essentials of the Christian faith. Now, as we've stated going, uh, throughout this series, while these are uh, the distinctive Oasis Church essentials. By that we mean that for someone to come in and and uh, worship with us, then all are welcome. Everybody is welcome to come in and be with us and and to experience what we do on a weekly basis and be in, actually be involved in what we're doing um, as they are seeking truth. But if if somebody wanted to be um, what, what we don't use membership language, we call uh, members covenant partners. If someone wanted to be a covenant partner, well, we would ask that they would be in agreement with our eight doctrinal essentials. Our our doctrinal statement is much longer. Uh, it explains uh, much of what we believe about many different aspects of, of theology, but but we see many of those beliefs and, and statements, while, while we hold to them, they would be considered as non-essential. That means that we could disagree on some certain aspects of, of, uh, of theology. We would say that, uh, that there's room for debate, and, uh, and we welcome that in a loving way. But there are some things that, uh, that we would consider essential because Scripture seems to uh, set them apart as, as essential, meaning that there's not room for disagreement. If we begin to disagree at the essential level, then what we begin to do is uh, uh, become dangerously close to stepping outside of Orthodox Christianity. 
So when it comes to being a covenant partner at Oasis Church, we would say to, to, be, uh, to be eligible that we would need to be agreed without any reservation on these eight essentials. And so that's why they sound maybe um, maybe like bones. You wish there would be more meat on them, uh, but these are the, the the bare bones. These are those essential things that we've got to be agreed on, and, and we believe that can be traced back throughout the Christian, uh, the history of the Christian Church as uh, as as what would be considered as orthodox. Those things that uh, that must be believed, right belief. And so we will go back through these and we'll just start from the beginning at uh, at essential number one. Essential number one, the Bible alone is authoritative. It is inspired and inerrant in the original documents. Essential number two, God is Trinity, one God, eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Essential number three, Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. Essential number four, the human race is completely lost and dead spiritually. Essential number five, salvation is made possible by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Essential number six, salvation is received by faith alone in Christ alone. And then essential number seven, in the future, Jesus Christ will physically return to this earth. I can't express um, strongly enough how much I would encourage you to go back if you missed any of these uh, talks on our essentials, uh, especially those that uh, involve the, the human race being completely lost and dead spiritually, and then how salvation has been provided, how it is received by faith alone, uh, especially uh, Essentials 4, 5, and 6. If you didn't catch those, and if you have any questions regarding those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. And then go back and wrestle with Essential number 2 and 3. How are we to understand God as, as one God and three persons? How are we to understand Jesus as both fully God and fully human? Those are hard truths to wrestle with, and uh, it's well worth our time as we will likely never fully understand these things. We need to put them to belief because Scripture has called us to, by faith, believe these things. And that brings us to essential number eight, which reads for, uh, for those that are keeping along, it reads, eternity with Christ for believers, eternal punishment and separation for non-believers. And on the surface, you'll think, well, what we're going to talk about today is heaven and hell, the, the future destinations of, of all humanity. And, and while that is true, I would argue that, that actually what we're going to be talking about today really involves more one topic, and that is resurrection. It's the belief that everyone is going to experience eternal life. And, and that's actually going to be the first answer in our handout today. But the notion that, that while we will all experience everlasting life, we won't all experience the same everlasting life. By that we mean there are destinations for everlasting life based on our uh, acceptance or denial of essentials 4, 5, and 6 who we are as human beings lost and in sin, how salvation has been provided, and how it is received by faith alone in Jesus. I just want to read for you a few scriptures as we go into this. And thinking about the idea of, 
of our eternal destiny, where we will spend eternity in the future. Uh, let's think about John 14, 3, back to the upper room where Jesus was talking to his disciples, and, and, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And verse number 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This notion of when Jesus returns physically to this earth, that his followers will begin to be present with him wherever he is. An eternal destiny that we see he announced. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 53, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's that promise that as Christ was raised, so too we will be raised in those last Days. We see in Acts chapter number 24, verses 14 and 15, Paul is, is actually in prison uh, with the Roman governor there in uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he's giving a, he's giving a, uh, a, a, a defense of his belief, a, a defense against uh, his countrymen who are, who are claiming that he has apostatized and, and blasphemed against God. And, and he says, but this I confess to you. He's, he's speaking to the, to the Roman governor there. He says, this I confess to you that according to the way, this is a, 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 a slang in which was used to refer to those that would follow, were following after uh, Messiah as Jesus. They called them the, uh, followers of the way. He says, according to the, to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection, and listen to this next phrase, of both the just and the unjust. Paul says we've believed this all along. It's been taught in the law, it's been taught in the prophets that there's going to be a resurrection both of the just and of the unjust. So as we break into this particular essential, just keep in mind that we're really not talking so much about heaven and hell as our main points, as much as it is the definite resurrection of all humanity. The resurrection of the just, the resurrection of the unjust. And that begs the question, well, what will be our eternal destiny? And that's what we want to try to accomplish today, is to ask Scripture, what does it say about the eternal destiny, or the eternal uh, destinations, if you will, of both the just and the unjust? First, let's think of looking at the terms of what Scripture talks about when it's referring to forever. We hear things about forever and ever. What are some of the terms that are used when we talk about that time beyond or that, or that, that, that destiny beyond our life, beyond time in terms of forever? If you have a handout, and uh, again, 
email us. Let us know you'd like to have one. We'd love to get you one. In fact, put this on pause. Send us an email. Let us send you a handout, and then you can pick up following along. In our handout, first of all, it says, Scripture identifies two types of people. Number one, those who respond to God. And number two, those who do not. But all will experience eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus is promising eternal life to those who believe. John chapter 10, verse number 28 says, I give them, and this is Jesus talking again, He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Again, He's talking about those who are His followers, those who have by faith trusted in Him as Messiah. I give them Eternal life. And, and, and this eternal life has to do with their destination uniquely with Him. Then we go to Matthew 25, 46, where Jesus is also giving other instruction. And at this time, Matthew 24 and 25, He's talking about the end times. And He says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal Life. If I'm not mistaken, here Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats and how they will be separated into categories. One, to receive eternal punishment. The other, to receive eternal life. Both having an eternal destiny. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 through 10. Uh, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonian believers, the believers in Thessalonica, they were experiencing some, some pretty significant persecution because of their faith in Jesus. They were experiencing persecution from their own countrymen there in their city of Thessalonica. And Paul is he's encouraging them to continue on in the faith because something is going to happen in the future. In, in verse number 8, he says, "...in flaming fire..." inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What Paul is saying is, keep pressing on, keep pressing on, keep being a witness, keep striving, keep moving, keep reflecting the character of our Savior and not worrying about those that are persecuting you because their destruction is going to come when Jesus comes and their destruction is going to be of an eternal nature. And then we go to Hebrews chapter number 6 verses 1 and 2 and the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us not, le- or let us leave the elementary doctrines. Okay, so he's, he's explaining that they need to leave some of these elementary teachings of the Christian faith so that they can move on to greater and more mature topics of discussion and learning and application. Well, what are these elementary doctrines, writer of Hebrews? Well, he tells us, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. That doesn't mean we stop talking about Jesus. 
That just means that we move beyond who He is and begin to develop that Christology, that that notion of how we're to reflect Him and live for Him. He says, and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. We, We need to move on, He says. We need to get past some of these elementary doctrines. Not that they're not important. In fact, I would argue they're essential. But they needed to move past those so that they could mature in their face. What are some more of these elementary doctrines? He goes on in verse number 2 and he says, instructions about washings, about laying on of hands, and then the next one, the resurrection of the dead. And lastly, and eternal judgment. So these, these ideas of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, the writer of Hebrews considered these to be elementary doctrines. Things that we should already know and move beyond so that we might grow in our faith as we continue. And then lastly, Revelation chapter number 22, verse number 5. The Bible says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Who are they? Well, it's those who have come by faith in the in the lamb who was slain so that he might also take that throne as the lion will reign forever and ever with him so what are some of the terms now that we've we've kind of built the case that there is a forever for every one in fact when i preached this earlier i actually entitled the handout or entitled the sermon with the handout everyone somewhere forever So where are these destinies? What has Scripture said about where we're going to be forever? Well, let's look first at the the biblical terms for uh, the place of punishment, or what what we would call hell. And there's four of them that we want to identify. First is the term Sheol. You'll see this term Sheol often in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word that means or has to do with the grave. Death, that place after life, that place of burial, that that destiny beyond this life. And what we know about the ancient Israelites is that they did not have a fleshed out view of the afterlife. They they really didn't have a or at least at least we are not aware of a fleshed out a an, a well articulated uh, doctrine of the end times. There's so many books today written about about the end times and how it's going to happen, what's going to be, and where we're going to go, and how it's going to look. And the Israelites didn't have that in the Old Testament. They really, when they talked about after physical life, they referred to it as Sheol. And sometimes it was referred to as death, sometimes the grave, sometimes it actually is even translated hell. There are times when the idea of Sheol was was to be thought of as a place where the wicked go. But again, it wasn't very fleshed out, it wasn't very mature as far as its definition, and so context really kind of has to be uh, driving how we're to understand the Old Testament term Sheol. But that is the first or the, 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 the Old Testament uh, kind of, of encapsulating word for the destiny of those after death. 
the, the next term we want to see, the second one, is, is what is uh, seen in the New Testament as Hades. Hades. It was a Greek word, and not only was it a Greek word referring to uh, a particular uh, mythological deity, but it also was a place where this deity was to reside or where he found his kingdom or, or however. You, you who know uh, Greek mythology know that better, but it was a Greek term used in the New Testament period often to refer to the same things that Sheol referred to. Uh, some of you may uh, know that the the um, the Greek-speaking Israelites translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, which we call uh, the Septuagint. Sometimes you'll see it abbreviated the LXX, the Septuagint. It's the, old, it's, a, it's the Hebrew Old Testament that had been translated in Greek. Every time the word Sheol is used in the Old Testament, the word Hades in Greek is used to convey that meaning. Well, the word Hades for the Greek-speaking world had a little bit more uh, involved, a little bit more meat on the bones. And in fact, often this word Hades did refer to the place where the wicked go to spend afterlife time or at times eternity, depending on who you are and what you believed in this Greek-speaking arena. We see it used, uh, Hades, when Jesus told the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. They were, one had much, the other had little. They both died. The rich man opened his eyes in glory, and Lazarus, or the, the, I'm sorry, the rich man opened his eyes in a place called Hades, and Lazarus opened his eyes in another place that we'll get to in just a minute. But, but the, but the idea that Jesus described of Hades was a place of torment. It was a place of, of fire. It was a place where no one would want to be. And in fact, this rich man didn't want any of his family to come. So this notion of Hades we see in the New Testament. Sometimes, depending on your translation, if you follow the King James, and you'll see it often translated as hell. But you may also, if you're using a more modern translation, ESV, New International, you see a New American Standard, you'll see it translated as the Greek word Hades because the translators aren't wanting to put more meaning on the word than was intended. So to cover themselves, I think they just translate it Hades. The other New Testament word that's used often for this future destination is the term Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is uh, full of meaning. What, what is Gehenna? Gehenna goes back to the Old Testament times. If I'm not mistaken, it goes back to the, uh, the, the, the king of Judah that went by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was a wicked king. In fact, he served for 55 years and uh, only came back in repentance in the very latter part of his life. He spent the majority of his reign leading the Israelites in the ways of Canaan, Canaanite paganism, idolatry. One of the things that Manasseh did was built a, an idol to the god uh, Molech, which was a, a way of worshiping Baal, a Canaanite deity, and what they would do is uh, the worshipers of Baal through Molech would bring their children, and and this idol of Molech it was a it was a fat 
idol and it had a big belly with an opening in it where a fire had been created. So you would build a fire in the belly of Molech and the idol had these two hands that would kind of extend out in, 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 in like palms up uh, fashion where you could, you would, as a worshiper, you would bring your infants, your small children, and you would lay them up into the arms of Molech and the child would roll down into the burning fire in the belly. Child sacrifice, which was absolutely detestable to God. He hated this and his own people were doing it. And so uh, this, this, this Molech was erected in a place within the, uh, the city of Jerusalem called the, the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. It was a place where, it was a, it was a little valley owned by Hinnom's sons. Well, Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, came and when he became king, he brought about reform in Israel and he knocked down uh, many of the high places and the, and the idolatrous shrines and, and that particular valley because of what was done there, because of the heinous uh, uh, aspects of what was done in violation uh, of, of God's holy law, they turned that valley into the city dump. And all the refuse and all the, the garbage and, and anything that, uh, that needed to be thrown out was, was thrown into this valley of Hinnom. And well, you know, when you throw garbage in one place, it begins to stink and it becomes a, a very disease-ridden place. So they stoked a fire in the valley of Hinnom and, and, and refuse and, and, and and bodies of prisoners who'd been executed and, and all sorts of just trash and filth would be thrown and it was a perpetual fire burning in the valley of Hinnom. And this little area became known for short as Gehenna. You can kind of hear how it sounds like Hinnom. So this, this idea of Gehenna was a place of filth. It was a place of fire. It would never be a place that you would want to build your home next to. You wouldn't want to put your business by the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna. You wouldn't want to locate anything of value next to the city dump. It was a place of filth. When Jesus referred to this idea, he said that it would be better for someone to cut their hand off and go into eternity, go into glory, missing a hand, than to let their hand cause them to sin and end up in Gehenna as a sinner. James chapter number 3, verse number 6, also in talking about our tongue, says that our tongue is, a, is, a, is an instrument, it can be an instrument of wickedness. Wickedness with the fire set by hell or Gehenna. So in the New Testament, we see this, this term for Gehenna to be a reference to, yes, a physical place in Israel, but it had a metaphorical meaning that tied into the eternal destiny of the wicked. And then the last New Testament term that we see for, for, uh, for hell would be found in Revelation 20.15, and that is the lake of fire. 
And when the uh, when when the uh, when 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 the writer of Revelation John was speaking of what he saw coming down, uh, or, or or what what he saw as as uh, as that place for the the wicked, it says that that death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. Now I don't know that this is necessarily a different place. But the idea of everything leading up to this final judgment is ultimately judged in the lake of fire. It's the notion of a torrential place, a place of torment. And it's connected to those who are wicked. So those are the biblical terms for hell. What about the biblical terms for heaven? We see the first is, well, heaven. And, and that's used often in referring to the eternal destiny of believers, the eternal destiny of the righteous. It's also the place where God resides. It is, it is also at times referred to as just simply the atmosphere, the heavens. I think about Paul writing about being, being captured up or, or at least him saying he knew of a man who was brought up into the third heavens. This idea of where God resides, where he is. We also see uh, the term, uh, or it's not a term, but it's a reference to Abraham's side. Or if you follow the King James, it's Abraham's bosom. Again, to the, uh, to the, to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus opened his eyes not in the place of torment, not in Hades, but in Abraham's bosom. Now in this parable, Jesus says that there was a great gulf between them. We don't know if that he was describing a literal gulf so that, that both Abraham's bosom, the place of, 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 uh, of rest and peace and, and, uh, and, and goodness, if it truly was in the same vicinity, or if he was just using that as an illustration. Nevertheless, it's described in Luke 16 as Abraham's side the place for the righteous after death. We see in John 14, uh, 2, we've already read it already in this, in this little talk. He says, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Again, many mansions. Uh, if you're following the authorized, mansion sounds better than rooms, uh, but the word's really not referring to God building us a five-bedroom for bathroom mansion, it's that idea that there's plenty of room for everyone in my Father's house. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place in my Father's house and I'll come back and get you and take you to be with myself. Another New Testament word we'll use or we'll identify that Jesus used was the word paradise. You think of the, of the incident with Jesus on the cross and the one thief in submission looking to Jesus and saying, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. These three were all dying on a Roman instrument of execution. Yet that one thief had a faith that there was something more to Jesus and that ultimately he would enter his kingdom even though he was being executed along with these two. And he said, I want you to just, all I'm asking you, Jesus, is just remember me. When you come into my kingdom and Jesus turns to him and, and says one of the most exciting phrases uh, in all of scripture and he says, uh, truly today you will be with me in paradise. After death, 
you will be with me in paradise. This place of, of destination for those who are righteous. We see next when Paul is referring to uh, the destination of, of, uh, of, of his uh, afterlife destination, he was talking about being at home with the Lord. Not a term, but more of a phrase, at home with the Lord. If, 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 if I die, if I'm separated from my body, if, 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 if I'm executed, it's no problem because when I'm absent with the body, I'll be at home with the Lord because he believed in an et- eternal destiny. He believed what Jesus said about being with him forever, at home with the Lord. And then lastly, the last term that we'll identify for uh, the biblical words for heaven or the biblical ideas for heaven is again found in Revelation 21. We've already alluded to it, where, where the writer John says, I saw a new heavens and a new earth descending down. 2 Peter 3.13 also, uh, also refers to a new heaven, a new earth, that destiny for those who believe. Where are we going to be when we die? The Bible talks about, uh, it talks about e- eternal life for everyone. Everyone somewhere forever. And the scripture clearly talks about a destination for unbelievers, the wicked, and a destination for believers, the righteous. But then there's a theological dispute that goes on. Because it's not just believing, uh, you know, that the scripture talks about these things. The dispute comes, the theological dispute comes in, how are we to understand these things that Scripture teaches? Your handout says not, or everyone agrees that believers will live with Christ for eternity. That, that's not really all that debatable. Everybody who are followers of Jesus or students of the Scripture, everyone seems to understand that at, at least we can agree on everyone who's a follower of Christ goes to heaven when they die. That's a way of saying it, and we all agree on that. But not everyone agrees on the nature of the punishment for unbelievers. In fact, I would argue that this essential right here is one of the most, if not the most, controversial Christian beliefs in our culture today. Yes, unbelievers will get mad at you, or or let me back up and say it this way. Non-Christians, but believers in something, will get frustrated and angry and upset with Christians who say that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And that is an essential. Salvation is made possible by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus. There are no other ways. All roads don't lead to heaven. He is the only way. And there are unbelievers who will get angry with you that you believe that. But many of them will just scoff and consider that you're silly for believing such a uh, silly thing. But if you tell someone who's an unbeliever that the scripture has said what their destiny is for unbelief, well, that's where people are going to get mad at you these days. You see, they don't mind you telling them where you're going to go for eternity because of faith in Jesus, but they have very little tolerance with someone who will tell them where they will spend eternity for not believing. And so there's a great debate right now within within the realms of Christianity and how are we to understand this idea of eternal punishment for unbelievers? Well, 
first of all, it's the view that we would hold to, is the literal view. We believe that hell is a real place where unbelievers suffer forever. It's, it's hard for our world right now, and it's hard for Christians to understand how a, how could a loving God who supposedly loves everyone send someone to a place of eternal torture? Well, two things are missed when we come to that conclusion or we come to that wrestle. Number one is the holiness of God. See, it's, it's, it's not that God is doing something to us as much as it is He is simply acting on the basis of His holiness, on the basis of His righteousness, on the basis of His justice. You see, for us to think that any of us deserve eternal life, that for any of us to think that, that we deserve God's love, His mercy, His grace, is ludicrous. We deserve nothing but destruction because of sin the sin that we are guilty of because it was imputed to our account through Adam and the sin that we are guilty of because we commit it in our very own nature. In violation of God's holiness, we deserve destruction. When we think that God doesn't have a right to follow through on His holiness, we don't truly understand His holiness. The next thing we don't understand is what God paid for us. It's it's this notion that, yes... Okay, well, Jesus died. Yeah, that's, that's fine. He rose from the dead. And you're going to say, God's still going to send somebody to hell? No, no, no. God has made a way for us who deserve destruction to be forgiven, to be brought into His family and to be made right with Him. How dare us think that we don't deserve or that God would be, quote-unquote, on the hook for doing something like sending someone to eternal punishment. We send ourselves there because of our sin. So when there are those that just simply cannot fathom how that literally hell could be a place, a destiny for unbelievers, then they look for other ways to understand this. There's the metaphorical view. Some within the realms of of Christianity would say that hell is not to be taken literally in Scripture. It's just simply a metaphor. It's talking about it's talking about the 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 death that they will live in this life. Well, that seems silly, especially when Jesus tells a pretty specific parable about someone who was wicked that did not experience death in this life, but experienced it to the full in the life to come. You've got also the purgatorial view. The Catholic Church understands that uh, that hell is a that, that, that it is a, a place where people are in an intermediate state. Okay, so you don't make it to heaven because of your faith or lack of faith in this life, but it's okay, you get another chance. It's a place of temporary uh, waiting where you can hopefully be prayed out, be, be uh, worked out by others so that you actually get out. It's, it's not a, it's not an eternal place. It's just a, it's a holding tank, if you will, for those that, uh, that will ultimately make it to heaven. And then the, the, what's called the conditional view. It's this idea of annihilation. It, it feels a whole lot better to say that, you know, if you, if you trust Christ as Savior, you'll go to be with Him for eternity. And if you don't, you just cease to, to exist. Well, I think that would lead a lot of people to consider just not not caring about the gospel and we'll just live our life to the full 
and we'll just go out in a blaze of glory. This conditional, this annihilation, meaning that unbelievers ultimately just cease to exist. It's a debate going on in Christianity, and there are people all across that spectrum. I'm sure there are many other views or combination of views of how they are to understand this idea of, of eternal judgment for the wicked, for unbelievers. At Oasis Church, we hold to the literal view. We believe in a literal heaven. We believe in a literal hell. And we believe that God does not want His creation to go to hell, which is why He made the way possible through the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus. It comes to how we receive that, either by uh, His sovereignty or by our, uh, our, our free will, uh, and that's a discussion for a different day because I would say that the answer to both of those are yes. But that's not today's discussion. Let's keep moving on. So we've talked about the terms of forever. We've talked about the theological dispute. But the last thing we want to deal with is what I'm calling the proper focus. You see, we've, I, think, I think we've done a, a fairly good job of communicating that the Scripture distinctively teaches that the just and the unjust are going to be resurrected. I think it distinctively describes the destination for the just and the unjust. So as believers, what are we to do in the now? What is it that we're to do as a, as a means of proper focus, knowing that there is an eternal destiny, knowing that everyone is going somewhere and they're going to be there forever? What should be our proper focus? And I want to draw our attention to Matthew chapter number 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he instructs his disciples with these words. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, what is it Jesus is saying? I think Jesus is giving us a glimpse as he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he speaks a lot, has a lot to do with the kingdom of God, which the Israelites were completely expecting Messiah to come and set up his kingdom. And that's exactly what Messiah was talking about in his sermon on the hillside, the kingdom of God. But not waiting and, and just sitting for that kingdom to come and to bring with it all the benefits that come with it. Rather, Jesus says how we are to be living today in light of the kingdom to come. And in this, he gives us two or four parallels. He gives us a, a this or that in four different ways. First, he talks about two locations for deposits. Here or there, referring to here on earth or there in heaven. 
You see, while we're here on this earth, we're either living for ourselves as followers of Jesus, we're either putting our work in the here, or we're working for there. And Jesus says it's one or the other. You're either laying up for yourselves treasure here on earth, or you're laying up for yourselves treasure in eternity. And we know that what's on this earth is going to perish. It's going to be burned up. It's not going, to, it's not going into eternity with us. Naked we came in, naked we're going to go out. We can either spend our time and energy and efforts on the things of this earth, or we can put our time and efforts and energy into the things of eternity. One of those things that we could spend our time and effort, and, and, and I would say should, must, is that everyone is going to be somewhere forever. And it's our responsibility. We've been handed the gospel for the express purpose of sharing it to those who don't yet know, and to all the world, to all creatures, teaching them and showing them. So we've got two locations for deposit, it, either here or there. There's another parallel. He said there's two levels of security, none or total. And I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between no security whatsoever or total security, well, I know which way I'm going. I mean, I think about these smartphones that we all use right now. I mean, what do we do? We, we, either, we either insure them or we don't, but we have to choose. Or we either put a case around them and, and a, a screen saver or a, a screen shield and, and uh, you know, basically Fort Knox around it, or we just leave it out of the case and pray we don't drop it on the concrete. So what do we do? We pay however many dollars a month to insure these things. And, and, and we put these, these uh, Fort Knox type cases around them and waterproof and, and life proof. And why? Because we know it needs to be protected. We don't want to be frivolous. We do that in all kinds of... We're, we're looking for security all the time in, in ways of, of, of defending and protecting those resources that we have at our disposal. And God says you can do one of two things. You can either protect your investments or you can absolutely leave them open for theft and destruction. Because he says if you spend your time and efforts working and striving for, for the things of this earth, those things are going to get robbed, those things are going to get broken, those things are going to wear out, and those things are going to have no eternal value whatsoever. No security or if you're laying up for yourself deposits in heaven, they're in my presence, God says. And destruction can't reach it. Thieves can't reach it. It's not ever going to, the bottom's not ever going to drop out of the increase. The, 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 the that, that's, that's increasing. It's, it's the, you know, it's, it's not ever going to, you're not ever going to watch the, the, the heavenly Dow Jones go up and down. There's not ever going to be a bubble burst in the things that we invest in eternity. In obedience, pursuing His will, pursuing His call, pursuing His character. As we are looking for an eternal destiny, God's called us to make our deposits in eternity where they will be totally and completely secure. He identifies two points of view. This is where he says, he talks about the eye of the body. This is a, a kind of a confusing little passage, and, and I might not do it justice 
in my ex- explanation. But here's what I here's how I understand it based on those that are smarter than me that I read behind. The idea is is like the eye of the body is like the heart of the spiritual man. The eye shows you which way to go. You you go where you go because of what the eye sees and determines for your body. This is the right way to go or this is the right way to go. This is the thing to get or that is the thing to get. This is the place to be or that because of what we see. Well, just like our our eyes direct our whole body, whatever we see is where we go, then so our heart also directs us. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's comparing the eye, and he's, he's really referring to the heart, the eye of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body, so... If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your heart desires those things that are empty, then you're going to pursue those things that are empty. But if your heart is is desiring of those things that are glorious and eternal, well, then you're going to pursue those things that are glorious and eternal. So I think what Jesus is showing here is two points of view, light or darkness. Are we going to walk into the light? Are we going to let the light guide our desires? Or are we going to let the darkness rule? And he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If your desire is for darkness, then all you're going to pursue is darkness. And Jesus is saying, I want you to put your efforts, your your intent, your pursuit in following the light. Because I'm the light. And as you follow me, you'll be depositing in heaven and your deposits are secure. The point of view we need to be pursuing is the light. And then lastly, the, the comparison he gives, the last one, is that of two incompatible masters, God and money. I don't have to explain what this means. In our culture today, money is a God. And unfortunately, the pursuit of earthly wealth and fame and fortune is the God, the idol of many professing Christians. Think about it this way. We claim to be followers of Jesus. We claim to be followers of God, but what do we do? We go down to the valley of Hinnom and we lay our wife, we lay our children, we lay our calling, we lay our community into the arms of the idol of money, stuff. And we sacrifice them to the idol of money. If it convicts you, know that it convicts me first. Jesus says you can't serve two. You'll love the one and hate the other. You can't serve God and money. So what's the proper focus for us as we are eternal beings? The notion is, the proper focus is that we need to be that we need to be pouring our investments into eternity. 
We need to be trusting in the security, not of what we can have in this earth, but of what God's going to keep on our behalf in glory. We need to keep our eyes on the light. We need to keep pursuing what is the light and not the darkness. And we need to make sure that we have God in His proper place. We know He's returning. We've already established that essential. Jesus Christ is going to return. And if He returns, He's going to take us to be with Himself. And what do we want to be doing when He arrives? Just like that parable of the talents, we want to be investing. We want to be working. We want to be striving so that we are busy when He returns. He calls us home. What are some practical applications for disciples? Well, here's some suggestions. First, why don't you consider inventorying your life's pursuits? In light of eternity, what is your life pursuit now? Maybe we would call it the earthly to heavenly ratio. You spending more time on earthly things than heavenly things? Consider inventorying your life and just be honest with where you're at. Be honest with the Lord. God, I feel like I'm pursuing now more than then. I think I'm pursuing here more than there. I think I'm looking into the darkness rather than the light. And I think God might be more my, more the one I worship than you. Be honest. You look at your life and you go, well, I can't really tell. Well, here's a suggestion. Why don't you ask your spouse? Why don't you ask somebody close to you, a close friend or, 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 or a co-worker? Ask them about your ratio. Say, hey, won't you look at my life and you tell me, am I more earthly minded or am I more heavenly minded? Am I spending more of my time trying to get ahead in this life or am I doing and, 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 and using the opportunities I have in this life for the rewards of the, of the next? When was the last time you talked to somebody about eternity? If we really believe that everyone will have eternal life, When's the last time we spoke to somebody about the option that they have of eternity with Jesus? I would encourage you, share your faith. This culture, today's millennial culture, they're willing to talk about eternity. Now, they're not really excited about you preaching at them, but having a discussion about the afterlife, oh, they're all about that. When was the last time you took advantage of that opportunity? Talked about eternity. And then lastly, beware of believers' spring fever. If you've graduated from high school or, or any kind of post-high school um, education, you know what it's like when it's springtime. And spring comes and you just want to be outside and you just, you've been going at it for months. You're just ready for the semester to be over. You're ready for the year to be over. You're looking forward to summer break. And can it just come and we just get spring fever and we kind of roll back on our heels? Don't get believers spring fever. Don't think, well, Jesus is closer now than he's ever been. I'm just going to hang back and just wait on him to come back. I'm just going to enjoy my life and wait on him to return because surely it's going to be soon. We don't know how long we've got. Maybe short, maybe long. We don't know how long that is. Let's all finish strong. We believe that Christ is returning. We believe that we're going to be with Him forever. Let's don't waste this time that we've got. Let's use it for His glory. Let's use it in, 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 in hard 
and, and, and heavy pursuit of what he's called us to do. Trusting that those investments are going to be uh, well taken care of. And one day it would be glorious to be able to receive those from him. Just some suggestions for believers. Well, I hope you have, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the, the series on the essentials. I hope it's been helpful. It certainly hasn't been exhaustive. I know that. There's so much that I couldn't share. So much that I just don't know. But I hope this has been helpful for you to at least get you to think and maybe even write down some questions that you'll want to follow at a, at a later time. Again, if you don't have any of the handouts, shoot us an email, info at uh, oasischurchwh.org. If you hadn't checked out, uh, if you hadn't checked out our website, do that. Some cool things there. Uh, if you're not following us on social media, I would encourage you uh, like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram. Um, we're trying to be encouraging throughout the week. There's a lot of junk out there on social media, and we're, we'll try to be an encouragement as often as we can. Um, come visit us whenever you're in the Winter Haven area. We'd love to see you, and uh, just really hope that uh, that God will bless you. In, uh, in your endeavors and that they will be uh, investments for the future. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>